Welcome to Blink of an Eye, where we interview thought leaders and deep thinkers on trauma healing wisdom, both ancient and modern, as we learn together with experts from around the world. We also engage in captivating relational conversations with spinal cord injury heroes and innovators in our Dear Louise series. Out of one mom's trauma to integration story, Blink of an Eye brings you a collection of unparalleled and diverse views as we take you on an inspiring and unvarnished look at the true nature of trauma in all our lives. Today's episode is part of our Trauma Healing Learning Series, where we meet with esteemed experts, doctors, therapists, and healers to learn essential wisdom and practical methods, both ancient and modern, to consider in our collective trauma healing journey. This episode is sponsored by Blink of an Eye Nonprofit and by Baltimore Mediation. In a world where food, health, and wellness reign supreme, and with many differing views prevailing as well, our next guest stands as an unwavering authority on food for the body. Jessica Jarmer, vegan chef and plant-based diet expert, provides answers to those in search of reducing inflammation through their dietary choices, especially those facing ailments related to inflammation such as type 2 diabetes, spinal cord injury, IBS, chronic muscle fatigue, and all gastrointestinal ailments. You'll hear about how and why a plant-based diet also prevents disease and anger flare-ups. Jessica's journey transcends mere culinary expertise. Hers is a passionate odyssey to revolutionize the way we all eat. Get set for some surprises and a deeper understanding of the intricate link between what we consume and our body's ability to physically heal. Prepare for insights that may just redefine your relationship with certain foods, inspire you to make different food choices, and illuminate the transformative power of the impact of food on chronic pain, disease, and bodily injuries, as well as the prevention of illness in a world that can assault our systems in many ways. Stay tuned. I am blessed to introduce you to Jessica Jarmer. Jessica is a go-to authority in the world of food, health, and wellness, and for those wanting or needing to change their eating lifestyle. She's a vegan chef and a plant-based diet expert. Jessica's podcast, The Practical Vegan and Soccer Mom, is a go-to resource for families looking to make healthier food choices, even in a meat-centric world. Her episodes are brimming with practical tips, tantalizing recipes, and expert nutritional advice. Jessica makes going vegan not only accessible, but also delicious for a diverse audience from moms to busy professionals to firefighters. 
She specializes in guiding individuals grappling with high cholesterol, elevated triglycerides, and type 2 diabetes towards healthier lives. And stay tuned for insights on how what we eat also has everything to do with how our bodies handle trauma. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you, Louise. It's nice to be here. Oh, it is so delightful for me to be with you. I mean, here you are, a mom, a chef, a prior podcaster. Give us a sense of who Jessica Jarmer is on the inside. On the inside, Jessica Jarmer feels like she's a 21-year-old who's trying to still figure out life. But on the outside, I am a mom of three children. Uh, My oldest is 22, almost 23. My middle one is 20. And my youngest is 15. I'm a PTA mom of a crazy amount of years. In our diocese, my kids go to Catholic school. In the Diocese of Trenton, I'm the vice president of the diocesan PTA. So I, I'm this, uh, right under the president helping to oversee a number of PTAs in four counties. I am also a vegan coach. More so, I like to say a plant-based coach because I know vegan has a lot, of, a lot wrapped up in that word that people are not always comfortable with. So I am a plant-based coach who used her knowledge to help her son through probably one of the most trying times of his life. Mm, And what trying time was that so that our listeners know? Yes. So my middle son, Sam, when he was 16, almost 17, was lifeguarding right at the end of our street. We live in a beach town year round and he was lifeguarding. And he was waist deep in water and went to dive forward through a wave and hit a small sandbar and broke his C6 and was instantly a quadriplegic. So I have used my knowledge of food and used that to guide him through this to make his recovery easier. Yeah, so he broke his neck and your knowledge uh, and your background with regard to being an integrative health Mm -hmm. coach as well, as part of how you navigated Sam's next chapter. And in full transparency for our listeners, we have the joy, we at Blink of an Eye Nonprofit, have the joy of having Jessica Jarmer uh, not only on our board of trustees, but helping other families navigate and bringing the wisdom that you are about to hear to families should they be interested or find along the way, in particular, the miracle year of spinal cord injury recovery and thereafter, what their diets might look like to help them along. So Jessica, let's go back to you Mm -hmm. and how it is that you got inspired or started on the health and wellness journey. So Back to the 21-year-old me, literally. I was 21. I was teaching in a school. And in New Jersey, your first year of teaching, you require a mentor. And my mentor that year, my friend Sharon, and we're still friends, Sharon's husband was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. 
I remember he was given three to five years. And at the time, they didn't see any type of treatment for the type of cancer that he had that uh, would be effective. So what happened was they happened to come across a diet that they heard was very effective in dealing with cancer. And it was called macrobiotics. Well, her husband went on this diet, which was the most bizarre thing I had ever heard back in the 90s when everybody was eating, you know, Snackwell cookies and and diet this and diet that to be healthy. Light, L-I-T-E. Crystal light, yes. All these things that we were mm-hmm. ingesting, all thinking preservatives yeah, and, and mm-hmm. thinking those were the, the healthy foods. Matt changed his diet and his tumors shrank. And then his tumors weren't detectable. And it's been been a long time. And Matt has two kids who have graduated college and he's healthy as can be. And that was by wow, changing his diet. So at 21, I said, okay, mm-hmm. that's it. I'm giving up this, this, and this. And I told my parents and it went over like a lead balloon. Why do you suppose it went over like a lead balloon that you at 21 made right. such a big food change decision. I've done a lot of thinking about this. I actually wrote an article a number of years back about it. It's multi-layered. So when your child changes their diet when they're in the house, one, I was 21. So I, of course, knew better than anybody in the house, you know, as all all people that age do. As all 21. So I was going to change their life and make it so much better. But so I was obnoxious about it. So there's a level of resistance there. Two, I'm an only child. So now all of our family recipes, mm-hmm. the cast iron pot, you know, that all the pot roasts were made in. I didn't want that. That was my mother's grandmother's and so my great grandmother's. All the recipes just weren't going to fly anymore because anything dessert started with condensed cream, you know, condensed milk and eggs. And this was early on, and I didn't know how to substitute things yet. So it was a challenge. My mother then had to either have me cook my own with her pots and pans that weren't, you know, seeping in the grease, or she had to make a separate meal for me. And that was a challenge. And the third thing, and this is where I think, well, there's actually two more. The third was when you change your diet, your parents feel judged. Because everything that they thought they were giving you that was healthy. Yeah, they love Yeah, you. and they, they only want the doing best, their best. Right. So everything that they thought was healthy and everything that they thought uh, was important to include in your diet, you are now saying is deadly <laughs> or it's bad for you. Right. So, so that, not only disrupting, you know, yeah. but the whole family mm-hmm. dynamic of what the meal will look like for the three yeah. of you. It's and not only challenging some tradition, mm-hmm. but really challenging subtly or right. overtly your parents' judgment. Absolutely. And the final thing is yeah. when you do change your diet, even if you don't say anything and you're sitting at the tables, let's say at Thanksgiving, you are now, because of your choices, making everybody look at their plate differently. And people get very angry at that. You're, you're forcing Angry, them. Angry, I could imagine. Yeah, and so they... Yeah, some other emotions they attack too. a little and they make fun of you. And it takes a long time to learn how to handle that. Because remember, when I did this, 
I didn't even know what the word vegan was. I had never heard of that. I didn't know what it was. I just knew I was giving up dairy, meat, eggs, anything that was animal related. And that was part of the diet change mm-hmm. that Matt, whom you referenced, what you called, I think, microbiotics. Macro. That was macro. part of the microbiotics. Yeah, macro great life. Biotics yes. diet. Mm-hmm. Great life. Ah, I see. So just to reiterate that, it was no mm-hmm. dairy, mm-hmm. no meat, no eggs, and no Basically eggs. nothing coming so from an animal. I do believe in traditional macrobiotics. They incorporate uh, certain fish, but I wasn't doing that. You had to then include sea vegetables into your diet, which, you know, sea vegetables to me was the seaweed at the end of the street. I didn't know how to do anything with that at first. Are there other vegetables when we think of sea vegetables beyond seaweed? It is just a nicer way of saying seaweed, right? So there's Mm -hmm. tzatziki, there's arame, there's dulse, kelp. These are all regular things in in my house now. In fact, (laughs) years ago, my friends used to drape the seaweed over my beach chair and say, Jess, I got you dinner. Well, it's quite apropos, isn't it, that you go to a seaweed diet when you live Mm -hmm. at the beach on the shore of of the Jersey Shore. And then we also included fermented foods. Mm, mm. And why fermented foods in this macrobiotic? So it helped with digestion and and feeding, you know, all the, the good bacteria in your gut and keeping you pretty. So even though we didn't know a lot about gut health back 30 years ago or more, you all were on the cutting edge of that with this macrobiotic diet that actually sounds like it originated from a physician. It was George Osawa in Japan who developed macrobiotics. And he traveled around and would intentionally get himself sick in places and use macrobiotics to bring himself back, to show people the value of food. Mm. And there were a number of people that studied his work And they kind of went to different corners of the world to promote it. What was his background? Was he a chemist? I uh, don't remember what his background was, but I know two of the people that he trained were uh, Michio and Aveline Cushy, who started the Cushy Institute in Massachusetts. And what is the Cushy Institute? It's where people go to learn the basics of macrobiotics. And I guess there's also classes that do a deep dive on it, too. So for you, with that big introduction Mm -hmm. at 21, And then that huge decision that you made, what did it look like as you matured and as you moved out of being into being a young woman and then a mature woman? So I remember when I got engaged, I was, I lived in North Jersey at the time and we had the beach house. I was coming down for the weekends and I wound up marrying my next door neighbor down here. And the weekend that he proposed was my birthday. And I thought for sure I was getting a pressure cooker because I (laughs) brought all these grains. I was going to spend the weekend pressure cooking beans and grains. I was so excited. And he gave me a ring. And I, after, (laughs) and after the shock wore off, I, I remember looking at him and saying, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but did you get that pressure cooker? And then as we, um, then we got married, I maintained my diet, he maintained his. And then we had, we were pregnant with our first and it was a big decision to be made as to how this child was going to eat. And because you're implying that he was not on the same diet as I was. So we had some decisions to make 
And he said, meat or dairy, but not both. And I said, okay, no dairy. Because I knew I could visibly control the meat coming into the house. But dairy's in everything. Dairy is honestly Mm -hmm. in almost everything. I, I remember finding dairy in salt and vinegar potato chips. And just looking at that going, why? You know, why? Why are they were putting it in everything? And how would it show up in the ingredients? So it's it oftentimes doesn't say dairy. Well, what first off, nowadays, as? which is really good, you can you can look at the labels and it has the allergy warnings on it. But back in the day, you could look at the kosher label, and the, if something was kosher, it would have a D next to it. If it was dairy in it, so that's your first indicator that there's something to look for. Sometimes. It'll say DE, like dairy equipment, that I wasn't so worried about. But when it said dairy on it, I would look and it would say whey. Almost everything had whey or dry mm. milk powder. or And people were using that to up protein contents or to make things taste creamy so that it appealed to people. So we had to... All about the oh, taste of course, buds. Everybody, so our, our taste buds are what draws to food because it sets off pleasure receptors in our brains. So our bodies know to come back to it. And the ancestral being inside of us wants to come back to the minerals, so the salt. It wants to come back to the fat because we used to have to sustain ourselves through harsh winters. And so pleasure receptors go off. And our need to con- you know, conserve energy. So everything is now salty, fatty, also sweet. And it's thrown in a bag, conserving energy. So it's very difficult. So with all of those obstacles... What did you find were the best paths forward? The best path forward here was just cooking, just cooking. At your home, like just home-based yep. cooking that you can control the ingredients of and for. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're now mm-hmm. making our own bread because I just couldn't take the ingredients in some things anymore. Even something as simple as dough conditioners, like what's a dough conditioner? What is a dough that makes it, I guess, more elastic or softer. But one of the things is L-cysteine, which can be derived from human hair. So I thought, well, I don't want that in my food. So now we're we're basically making our own bread now, too. I can't wait to get into some of the delicious aspects of your cooking that you might be willing to share with us. Here at Blink of an Eye, we are interested in trauma healing. And I know that you have a particular perspective on how food relates to trauma healing. Could we talk about that? Yes. Well, when Sam was in the hospital, some of the greatest peace he found was through his occupational therapy and recreating dishes from home so that he had a connection with the house again. Because as you know, they could go to the beach one day and not come home for months. Yeah. And that's... That blink of an eye moment. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to us. So Sam had no connection. Also, it was very challenging in a rehab setting to find any plant-based foods, even the peanut butter and jelly sandwich had dairy in the bread. So we were constantly trying to find food and we weren't making the best choices. And it was actually making us sick. Because you're referencing Sam as one of your children, of course, but that he must have been on oh, yes. a plant-based Sam diet was a plant. his, yes, most of his Sam life. Has, when we talked about the, the children 
having to choose between meat and dairy. And I chose no dairy. They all grew up with no dairy, but they were allowed to make choices outside of the house about different types of animal products like meat, chicken and fish. And chicken and fish and on Thanksgiving, turkey had come into their world. I guess it, Sam was in fourth grade and he gave up meat for Lent and he never went back. So he is my true plant-based child. The other two are loose vegans. They use the term when they need it to get out of eating something. Well, you're really raising a, a larger topic as well, beyond even the choice to be vegan in a hospital or a rehab mm -hmm. setting. Even just the choice oftentimes to eat mm -hmm. well can be really difficult. But here you're, you're saying that for him, it was really hard to find something that was dairy-free. A dairy-free, meat-free. Meat it was interesting, mm -hmm. even at the time, the fruit cups they were sending. I remember reading the ingredients and one of the, you know, I'm like, why is this pink? You know, the juice in it. There's nothing in here that would cause it to be pink. Why is it pink? You know, why did they color it pink? And I looked and one of the ingredients was something that I know to be from a beetle, that it's crushed beetles. That's what makes the red color. And I told him, he's like, oh, great, just put it aside. One of my friends will eat it. But I had to, we had to bring food from home. We found restaurants that were nearby that could provide us with food, but we had to buy food in the family room. We kept in their freezer frozen meals. But the problem is, when we're at home, we weren't cooking with any oils. We would eat avocados, we would eat nuts, and we would eat olives. But at home, we don't use the ingredient of oil or butter or vegan butter. When you, you wouldn't use olive oil no, either? We eat olives because we were on a whole food plant-based diet. So it was just a challenge to, it was a challenge. It was rough on our systems because we had to Take for, you know, you got a, something from a restaurant, it's going to have oil in it. You got something in a frozen meal, it's going to have oil in it. So now I must admit I'm a bit okay. thrown because understanding some of the differences and why we should stay away from corn oil, mm -hmm. safflower oil, canola mm -hmm. oil, and cook alternatively with olive oil or coconut oil. But you're saying that you're not cooking with right. any oils no. or butter. So what is it that a vegan would be cooking So most with? vegans do cook with that, but we follow a whole food plant-based diet. So we saute uh. in water or broth. And when we eat things that contain like olive oil, it's in an olive <laughs> because we consider oils processed. I see. That's the mm -hmm. difference between then whole yes. food vegan if you will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm also thinking about this plant-based diet and as we can become more conscious of how many animal products are in our, our foods. One of the things for me that I'm just crazy about are dark chocolate covered almonds. And I was inspecting the ingredients, especially when you can buy like a whole tub of dark chocolate yeah. covered almonds at Price Club or Sam's Club. I said to myself one day, what makes those almonds, they're so delicious. What makes them so shiny? And I looked at the ingredients and one of the ingredients is shellac. Mm -hmm. I said, shellac, that is curious. Of course, 
as a painter and someone who's done a lot of home remodeling with my husband over the many years of a 1900 mm-hmm. house, I'm like, shellac. And I looked it up. And interestingly enough, like you said before, that mm-hmm. red color comes from bugs. It's basically crushed beetle yeah. bugs. Yes. <laughs> comes from bugs. And then I couldn't decide if it was like, oh, well, I'll at least be getting a little right. protein. <laughs> There's times that we could justify things like that, right? I know it's, it is a challenge. It's interesting because um, even when you eat those dark chocolate almonds, a lot of times, not all brands, but some of them still contain dairy. Yes, I have Mm -hmm. looked for that as well. You're right. You have to be so circumspect. Mm -hmm. And and people get, Mm -hmm. and I feel so bad, people get so angry with me. (laughs) And I'm like, I I don't care if you eat it. I just, I'm not going to eat it. Well, that you've come a long way from your 21-year-old self. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So let's get back Mm -hmm. to Sam and how he was in rehab. He was actually finding that he was getting sick Mm -hmm. because he was straying from a whole food, uh, vegan-based diet. And I'm wondering the connection between that and the trauma in his body as well, or if there was one. So he was not feeling well because we kept buying things at restaurants and there was a lot it it was vegan but it was a lot of oil one night we bought from this place that had a separate vegan menu and one person must not have understood and we trusted when we got it that it was vegan and there was dairy on it and both he and I were just so sick Hmm. but these are things that we've learned you know how to get around you know don't just trust it anymore you got to ask I went to Ikea, I have to tell you this, and I just had to get something to eat. Ikea sells now vegan meatballs. But I saw in their allergy thing, it said dairy. So I had to ask, like, I'm holding up the line, asking like 50 questions. And the guy had to go and get the ingredient list. He goes, ma'am, it's just in the gravy. I said, the no gravy. Yeah, it's, it's always yeah. a challenge. It is a challenge. Takes a lot of time. What's, what's the payoff? The payoff is digestion is fabulous energy level is through the roof. You know, I'm going to be 50 next year. I still feel like I did when I was in my 20s. I have the energy level. I am running around constantly and I keep going. And I think a lot of that has to do with the plant-based diet. Also, we have a lot of conditions in my family, heart disease and diabetes. And I don't know if you're familiar with an A1C at all, which is, it's actually an average of your glucose over three months. So let's say you get blood work done and you come home and you look at it and you see that you have a 90 as your fasting glucose. That's like bringing home a spelling test with a 90. You know, you show it to your mom and she thinks you're doing great in spelling and then you fail spelling. A1C is your grade for the, you know, for the year. So, or for those, that marking period. So it gives you your average of blood how sticky your hemoglobin cells are over the three months. So typically you want to see it under six, right? And mm-hmm. my hemoglobin is 5.1. The last time I had it checked, which is very low. My dad died of complications from type 2 diabetes. My grandmother died of complications from type 2 diabetes. My grandfather died of a heart attack brought on by complications from type 2 diabetes. My children's grandparents, my husband, 
now, although my husband now, I believe, has that what's called LADA, the, which is the like latent onset, whatever, diabetes. So basically his insulin has stopped being produced or slowly diminished. So we have complications all over. So I feel that this plant-based diet protects my children. We'll pause now in support of our sponsors who support Blink of an Eye. We'll be right back. Blink of an Eye nonprofit is filling a gap nationwide in response to spinal cord injury trauma for families in the first hours and days of injury. With fewer than 20 hospitals in the country having SEI expertise, Blink of an Eye has navigators who themselves have been there as SEI survivors and who are trained in relational approaches to trauma who are available 24-7 to support families, empowering them on their journeys, navigating their lives, and interacting with medical staff for the first 30 days. The nonprofit's mission is to transform the SCI crisis experience into an extraordinary one, despite the devastation. When you learn of a newly injured SCI family, call Blink of an Eye on their toll-free number, 1-844-41-BLINK. You can also learn more and get involved with Blink of an Eye at www.blinkofaneye.org. Blink of an Eye is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Since 1993, Baltimore Mediation has been leading the way in a relational approach to conflict and problem solving. They are national leaders in teaching and providing fully immersive and experiential online training in mediation and conflict transformation skills. Register for the next course at www.baltimoremediation.com. The quality of your interactions at work, at home, and in your daily life will be transformed. And you will create more well-being for yourself and others. Better process, better outcome. Baltimore Mediation. And now, back to the show. Do you have a sense from your own research and in your family where the baseline was of that count, that three month window, let's say, that you may have taken before a plant-based diet, if there was such a know. thing, or anybody else in your family you've experimented so with? I ha- yes. And cajoling yes. them? So <laughs> my husband's A1C, when he was first diagnosed with diabetes, was, I think it was up around 10 or 11. It might have even been up to 13, which is ridiculously high. And while he had adopted a plant-based diet, he got down to about 5.6. Wow, that's significant. So when you gave an example before of 90, that doesn't sound like it would even exist. It's more like on a scale of... That's your glucose level. So when you test your blood sugar, you know, when you see diabetics testing their blood sugar, they kind of want it between 80 and 120. That's the goal numbers. Your A1C is is a different type of numbering that they use. But your glucose levels should be between like 80 and 120. And your A1C, you mentioned, should be lower, six or lower. You know how Mm -hmm. you get... What's high? Oh, anything over like 6.3, 6.4, you're in diabetic range. 
I see. So it's a pretty tight range. Mm-hmm. And what would be like the maximum? Oh, range? I can't. Maybe before uh, the highest I've ever dead. seen is thirteen <laughs> on somebody that I started working with. Yeah, it helps to know those mm-hmm. scales. So I'm I'm thinking with with diabetes and issues of the blood, and also um, with regard to acute trauma to mm-hmm. the body that really whacks the central nervous system and the blood flow. Do you have any studies or have you thought about a plant-based diet, the impact on that? I believe I had heard you talk about this one time before. So I know that a plant-based diet reduces inflammation. So, you know, with stress levels and cortisol and all, your inflammation goes off the chart in your body. You start developing pain because nerves are compressed with inflammation. You start having difficulty in all different areas of your body. But on a plant-based diet, you reduce a ton of inflammation. It also helps you navigate stress because one of the things that happens in a stressful situation is peristalsis could be slowed considerably. What is peristalsis? So peristalsis is like when you when you swallow something, you can even stand on your head and it's still gonna the undulation between the of the muscles of the digestive system will move it through. Even if you even, even upside, upside down. down. Right. So reverse peristalsis is when someone throws up. So it can help with that because there's so much fiber. So even when you're stressed and you, you know, it could back things up when you're on a plant-based diet, it's less likely to happen. So trauma and inflammation go hand in, in hand. Yeah. You know, many people don't think about that or realize that. So maybe we could give a baseline. And and many of our listeners might be quite familiar with that as well. But for those who are not, and also just as a good reminder, trauma to the body, let's, let's talk about that and where the inflammation comes from, because you're an expert in that, in the way that you've looked at that as it relates to food. So when Sam had his injury, because of his plant-based diet, he didn't well, this is the only thing that they could say that they could determine was the reason. He had no residual pain. So when people were, you know, in like lots of pain from their spinal cord injuries, Sam didn't have any. He had feelings still. So Sam does have feeling, but he didn't have movement. Feeling as in sensation, not as in like emotional feelings. Yeah, no, sensation, Mm -hmm. right? So you could touch a toe and he could tell you what toe it was. Um, he couldn't move that toe, but he could tell you that's my third toe in, my middle toe, my end, my pinky toe. But it was interesting because the hospital immediately put him on gabapentin and I couldn't wake him up. He's very sensitive to medication. And for those who don't know about gabapentin, which is a very common drug that's given to uh, someone spinal cord injured, it is given for the purpose of reducing inflammation. Mm-hmm. So there's, so there's yeah. no yeah. pain. My father, who had had complications from type 2 diabetes, was on heavy doses of gabapentin. My son was now on it, and I couldn't get him to wake up. And the hospital said, that's okay. It'll take about six to eight weeks for his body to get used to it, and then he'll level out. I said, well, we're not doing this. I said, pull him off of it now. And the hospital didn't. But Sam, because he was so healthy when this accident happened, he was able to be transferred six days after his initial accident 
when we got to the rehab, they pulled him off the gabapentin, but he had had no pain. He acclimated to everything very nicely. He was stable right away. He was able to be moved within six days and it would have been five days, but they didn't have a bed. So you're giving that remarkable story that he didn't have pain and sounds as though you're saying he didn't have inflammation inflammation. because it's the inflammation that causes the pain. And you're attributing that to his plant-based diet? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And specifically, he had been on that diet for many years. Do you have any sense for those who are listening in or thinking that they suffer with pain of various varieties from different traumas or people they love are suffering with physical pain? Do you have a sense of how long it would take for someone to adopt a plant-based diet? Well, maybe it's going to take someone a long time, but once they've adopted it, how long being on a plant-based diet, there would be those kinds of benefits of inflammation reduction? I think probably within three days of eliminating just dairy alone in all forms, you would start to see a reduction. The body fights dairy pretty hard. Once you have all your teeth in your mouth, you don't need mother's milk anymore. But our species, for some reason, continues it to adulthood. We consider those who are lactose intolerant, we have sympathy for them when really that's a natural progression of things that happen. When you stop consuming dairy, you naturally lose the enzyme to break it down. So in three days of giving up dairy, you should start to feel a difference in your body. So maybe that will be our blink of an eye Mm -hmm. challenge. To listeners, you know, if if you are suffering with physical pain that is or could be related to inflammation, or you're feeling sluggish, uh, have some lethargy. You also mentioned emotional pain. So I don't know if this relates to depression or feeling especially low or melancholic to think about taking dairy out Mm -hmm. of your diet for just three days. You'll see a difference in three days continue to keep it out. You know, you've really piqued my interest because I think about there are many different messages about different types of vegetables, Mm -hmm. right? Different types of plants. So for instance, may I ask you some of these questions? Like what, what about corn? You know, we hear that corn is really the enemy now. Corn is modified a lot. It's, they said that in one generation, if we didn't cultivate it the way we did, corn wouldn't exist as it is now. The way we plant it. You mean because it's so genetically um, modified? Yes, genetically. I believe it's genetically modified. Not all things that we think are genetically modified actually are, but I believe corn is, yes. And soy is also genetically modified. But the way we cultivate it and the bulk that we produce of it, corn is literally in everything that we consume if we're eating anything processed. So you have to be very careful because Corn is, it turns to sugar very quickly in your system. So it could spike your, spike your sugar pretty quickly and cause, you know, your body to produce a lot of insulin. And in producing insulin, what is the natural byproduct of that for us as humans? It puts a lot of stress on the pancreas and then eventually it just starts being stored because the insulin doesn't know what to do. After a while, it can't get this sugar into the cells anymore. It's the cells are saturated. So what happens is it just starts storing it as fat. And where in the body is that? A lot of it's stored stored in the liver. Mm -hmm. And the people get sluggish livers and they start getting nasty and tired and they start um, having outbursts, you know. 
He'll start when people have like a, a rage all of a sudden, it's usually there's something going on with their liver. And there might be a cause that is attributed to corn, potentially. Corn is the major That's contributor. laced throughout a processed yeah, diet. Yeah, but corn is in everything. Mm. Ketchup. Wow. Corn is this, like the second ingredient in ketchup. It's high fructose corn syrup. What about grains? There, there's a lot mm-hmm. of disagreement, uh, a lot of schools of thought on grains. Some would say to not only eliminate dairy and meat, but to eliminate grains as well, if you're really looking at a whole you food know, diet. No, whole foods are whole grains. Whole grains are essential, I believe, in keeping you healthy. When you eliminate grains, you eliminate a lot of the source of energy that we receive from those grains and the fiber that we receive and the protective qualities that they can bring to the table. You People vilify grains. And it, yes, if you're eating white rice, it's not good for you. You're just eating the sugar part of the grain. The reason it's processed that way is, one, it's faster to cook. Two, it's shelf-stable now because you've eliminated parts of it that contain trace amounts of fats. So now it's shelf-stable and it won't go rancid, so it could store better. And people got used to that sweet taste from the white rice and the 20 minutes that it takes to cook it versus the 45 minutes to an hour it takes at brown rice. But brown rice, to me, is a miraculous food. I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but everybody talks about this, you know, the paleo. And there, there actually is research that um, they did use grains. And not only that, most of them, I think, were dead in their 20s. So I don't know why we use that as a major diet that people adopt. And also, I know a lot of people talk about keto and how wonderful that they lose weight and all this, but they're making their body very acidic. And when you make your body acidic because you're ingesting nothing but animal protein, it puts pressure on the kidneys, it puts pressure on the digestive system, colon cancers, kidney cancers, all different types of cancers pop up in the body because you're acidic. And for those who are not familiar with keto, you might want to define that. Keto diet is basically meat and fat, and it was used as a diet to help severe epileptics. People who had severe forms of epilepsy that had maxed out their medication, were hospitalized and put into a starvation pattern where they're starved, medically starved, being supervised. And then they start the keto diet in the hospital. And it has tremendous results. But it was originally formed to help severe epileptics. How it became a dietary choice for people is beyond me. Everybody that I know that has adopted keto has had medical issues. You mean adopting keto for any long period of time? For any period of time. I think putting yourself in an acidic... Well, for any period of time. Putting yourself in an acidic situation, you're just asking for trouble. So where you're just eating meats meats and and fats. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which could include a lot of vegetables, the fats, for instance, from avocado, but that's not enough. But it's not enough, yeah. You want to make sure you're eating your fats through like in in with other things like you can make an avocado dressing, but you're not going to go and just sit and eat an avocado. People were eating avocados with eggs. It's so much pressure on the body to digest that. Everybody loves their eggs because because it affects your kidneys. It's too high in protein and it's just too concentrated of a protein and with too much fat. The egg and the avocado together. Too much fat. Too much much on the body. body. And people put it on toast and they Pinterest it, you know? 
I want to get back to this concept of, of things being too much on the body and also back to some things that we think are really good for us, like oranges. I have heard that oranges, for instance, if you drink a glass of orange juice in the morning, say even eight ounces, a cup, mm-hmm. or sometimes you might go out and the diner might bring you, and you say orange juice, they might bring you a really large, you know, 12 ounce cup or glass of orange juice, and how hard that is on the body to digest, even though oranges can be so good for us. Is that myth, truth? Uh, what does our vegan expert have to say about that? Oranges and orange juice. So eating an orange is better than having orange juice because you, when you have the orange juice, you don't have the fiber. And f- then it's going to hit your blood. Sh- so what's going to happen is you're going to drink that orange juice. You're going to go out with your friends for breakfast, have that orange juice. You're going to come home and want to take a nap because what's going to happen is your sugar's going to spike because you're drinking it probably before you're eating anything. So that's you got to think of your stomach as like a funnel, right? So now that's going in and the body's got to deal with that first. And it's going to say, oh, we have a lot of sugar here. It's going to shoot out a lot of insulin. The insulin and the sugar are going to go up and then it's going to drop off. And when it drops off, you're going to be want, you're going to want to sit at home in bed or just close your eyes and be done. Now, let's say you follow that with pancakes with syrup. Oh, you're done. You're going to sleep. <laughs> Reminds me of Thanksgiving, right? (laughs) While we all go and and crash uh, Mm -hmm. afterwards. You know, I've also heard that related to the the sugar spike, which is thank you for that information and the crashing, but that also our bodies, it's too much for our bodies to metabolize. And so it winds up all around our guts. Oh, yeah. Our bodies, we're going to store it. We're going to store all that extra sugar because our bodies can't process it. So it's kind of like a gas tank, right? you fill up your gas tank and then you're supposed to use what's in your gas tank. What we're doing is we're just putting more and more gas in, right? And then we need extra gas tanks to hold all the gas that we're storing. And we're not putting the miles on our car to use up that gas. That's why we store it. Yeah. Well, what about, as you mentioned, plants and nuts? What about peanuts? We hear a lot of controversy about peanuts. So I have no problem with peanuts. I know that some people are concerned about the toxin. There's like a a mold that could be found on peanuts, aflatoxin. I think I'm saying that wrong, but that could be a concern for people. And there's people who have allergies to peanuts. But I throw peanuts on top of curries and things like that. And I don't have a problem with it. So nothing around the digestive tract or anything around inflammation. So the oils that are in peanuts, right? So that could be a problem if you, you know, you have like the peanut butter with the oil. I always pour the oil off, but when too much oil touches the top of the stomach, right? The sphincter at the top of the stomach, it relaxes it. So the sphincter opens up and now as the food's digesting, it's coming up the esophagus because it doesn't have that tight seal anymore because it's been relaxed from the excess fat. But peanuts oh, in the is, whole food form, you know, just chopped up peanuts, no problem. You're reminding me that I had consulted you around heartburn, which is something I just really am unfamiliar mm-hmm. with. I, I didn't, I don't get it. And I did. And I'm like, oh, who can I call Jessica Jarmer? She's an expert on on stuff like this. And uh, you you immediately said, tell me about what you're eating. And 
I ingest a lot of oil, Mm -hmm. olive oil. We cook in olive oil, olive oils on my salads Mm -hmm. every day, et cetera. And you said, Luis, try going three days without all that extra olive oil in your system because, (laughs) and you said, your sphincter is like too relaxed. And I said, my what? (laughs) And you said, the top of your stomach. (laughs) Yeah, you said, it's allowing all those really good breakdown acids that are working in your stomach to uh, come on up your esophagus, giving you trouble that way. And indeed, uh, Jessica, I would like to report you are right on it. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. Uh, and, and and I will say, it wasn't, however, uh, my my diet per se, but I had, I take a lot of uh, fish oil for my eyes and I had found a bottle of my really good, uh, expensive krill oil. And I had been doing krill plus my regular mm-hmm. fish oil and then plus my regular diet. And for me, it was just, it was too much. And all I did was, lay off the uh, the krill oil too. And it was a matter of two days. It was really remarkable. It's very simple. Our bodies respond. Our bodies always want to heal. We just have to give it the right things. And when you do give it the right things, it heals very quickly. Well, you were very wise. <laughs> you know, I, I think about just also the unique aspects of the body too, really wanting to honor that people have different biological needs, different body types and We'll find the diet that works for them. But we we do also have a lot of coverage of organics, Mm -hmm. right? And non-organics. And I'm wondering how organics feature in your vegan diet and your views on organics. So I firmly believe in organics when you can get them. But I also firmly believe in eating vegetables. So if it's going to stop you from eating the vegetable because you can't find it in organic, I would almost prefer you eat the vegetable. Organic, I learned years ago, I saw a bumper sticker on an old pickup truck at a health food store and a farmer got out and it said on the back of it, the bumper sticker, it said, pesticides don't know when to stop killing. But you can look at the list Mm. of the things that are, you know, the dirty dozen, I think there's plus more on that. And then the clean 15 or whatever the number is now that are safe to eat, but washing your vegetables and, and sometimes peeling the skins off of them if, if they're too late, you know, riddled with pesticides. I do think that you should try and get berries organic when you can because there's more surface area that you're consuming. So things with more surface area that you are, there's no way of avoiding the skin. Yes, try and get organic. I was crushed recently when I realized that my huge ingestion of blueberries, that blueberries were on the list of what to right, avoid. Right, but they're also so they were not high organic. in antioxidants that they could balance a bit. And I'm sure you're washing them before. Right. Well, I was wondering, actually, if I'm washing them well yeah. enough. And, and it's funny because people are always on me about, uh, you know, you're eating soy, you're eating this, you're eating that. A lot of people, and you know, you know, unless they're eating grass-fed beef, the meat that they're consuming is being fed with genetically modified, highly pesticide-treated soy. Because the whole idea of genetic modification of soy is to make it resistant to Roundup. It's specifically grown to resist the chemical Roundup because they come by with crop dusters and they just spray the fields with Roundup and the soybeans still grow. So they take that soy 
and they feed it to the cattle. So it's not just what you eat, it's what you what you eat is eating that's coming into your food. Yeah, the, fo- the, yeah, food, the food chain. chain. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have to just, you know, not worry. At some point, you could just drive yourself crazy. While you prefer and advocate a meat-less mm-hmm. diet, would you say that for those who would like to still eat meat, that choosing organic meat, grass-fed beef, is much more preferable than other beef or is also even acceptable in the eyes of someone looking at wellness and health? I don't, personally, I don't see any health aspect to it. Every angle I've looked at it shows me that it's just something that's not something that should be included. But for those people who do include it, I would always you mean meat. I would absolutely try and find the best form of it that you can. I will never recommend me to anybody. And it's not, and don't take this wrong way, it's not animal advocacy by any means. I'm talking from a health perspective. I don't see a need for it. People are so worried about this protein. This protein obsession is going to kill our population. It's the amount of cattle that they have to produce. The What that alone is doing to the environment that no one's talking about is is far worse than all of the emissions combined. So this protein obsession that you Mm -hmm. reference, for those who might be very concerned about Mm -hmm. protein, what are the alternatives if it's not meat? There's beans. There's almost everything has protein. Lettuce has protein. We eat too much protein. Animal protein in particular has no fiber in it. So when people are eating tons of meat and tons of dairy, it's, it does not work well with your intestines. It'll actually rot before it's digested. So someone with a spinal cord injury, you know that there's issues there. So you don't want to be giving them too much meat or dairy. You want to be giving them a high vegetable diet to help things move through. Help things move, move through as it relates to bowel and bladder, but also it's just mm-hmm. easier on the it system. Is. Not that much energy mm-hmm. is having to be expended in digestion. Absolutely. Yeah, so it, I'm, I'm understanding that even through uh, the Eastern medicine, the Eastern scientists, you know, to have that energy go into mm-hmm. the organs and, and taking care of the organs rather than digesting. Yeah. You know, Jessica, this has just been so amazing and so fabulous. I am dying to ask you uh, one other thing, and that is about nutrition and your work as a integrative coach how the nutritional coaching has reduced people's reliance on medication. I understand that it, it has for many of your clients. Absolutely. So I've, I can think of one in particular who came to me with, and she, I had just shut my office down after Sam's accident. It had been six months after the accident. I put the key in, turned the lock after everything was in my car you know, tear in my eye, getting ready to drive off. And I get a message from someone who needs help. And I finally said, okay, you can come to my house because I'm really not doing this anymore. I got to take care of Sam. And she came to the house and she was in tears. And I thought she was going to say something far worse than she did. I said, just tell me what's wrong. She said, I have type two diabetes. I said, oh, I said, well, we can fix that. And she is off all medication She's 40 pounds thinner and she doesn't have to worry about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
all because, all because of adopting a, a plant-based diet. That's that's the most important because when you talk about type 2 diabetes, what they find is that the cells are coated with saturated fats. And that's why the insulin that you're producing, because you are producing insulin with type 2 diabetes, the insulin that you're producing isn't getting into the cells. It's kind of like gummed over. So it can't get the glucose into the cells. So when you eliminate the saturated fats and you eliminate the added oils, your body responds again. And that's what happened to her. I have clients who've come off. I will never tell them to come off their medication. I should say that that is up to them to talk to their doctor about. But they get to a point where their medication becomes too much for them pretty quickly. Like no longer needed. Yes, I had one client. I warned. I said, listen, monitor your sugar. Have something nearby. I said, because the amount of insulin you're taking is really going to hit you hard if you adopt this diet. And that's what happened. He wound up having to call someone to come over because his sugar dropped so low with finally doing it for 24 hours. And that was it. Just in 24 hours, his sugar plummeted. I said, well, I told you. So I'm I'm wondering with all these amazing stories, giving us all so much to think about, whatever it is that might be ailing us or might be in our hereditary line uh, that we wish we didn't have, but we do, or something we may have inherited, mm-hmm. if you will, because of a, of a tragedy or a trauma. Is there any uh, final word of wisdom or anything delicious that you'd like to share with us for listeners to consider? Well, you had just said it, and I just want to bring this up. And I think it's Caldwell Esselstyn, who, who uh, wrote Preventing and Reversing Heart Disease, who said it. Just because we have the genetics for something and we're predisposed to something and our parents died of it or our grandparents died of it or our aunts or uncles, it doesn't mean that's our future. We could be predisposed to something. And it's like having a piece of, you know, it's like having a grain laying on dry dirt. It can sit there forever, but if you water it, it's going to grow. So it's the choices we make every day that determines whether or not we turn those genes on or turn those genes off. That puts far more of our health under our control and less to fate if we just take ownership of it. And with spinal cord injury especially, you could just keep yourself so much healthier if you would incorporate more vegetables and more plant-based foods into your diet. I know everybody's concerned about their bones, right? Everybody's so worried about the bones with spinal cord injury because you're not really putting a lot of weight into those feet all the time. So people lose bone mass. So they eat calcium. Calcium, ingesting it in dairy doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go to the bones. It's kind of like a shower head. You know, when it gets all the calcification on it, that calcification, when you're eating it in an animal form, can happen anywhere in our body. But if you were to eat broccoli with some lemon juice on it, your body knows what to do with that. And there's such a high amount of calcium. Cows do not make calcium. They do not produce the calcium. What happens is they ingest so much greens and grains to keep their bodies as big as they are that they wound up spilling it over into their milk. So just go to the source. Mm -hmm. Skip the middleman. And when you skip the middleman, you skip the hormones. You skip the saturated fat and cholesterol. And so you eliminate all those other problems. We're seeing a last thing, and I know I keep saying last thing, but we see a lot of female cancers coming out now 
because when women hit menopause, they're worried about their bones, so they ingest a lot of calcium. There's no regulation on the amount of estrogen that's in the milk. So we're getting large concentrations of estrogen introduced to our diet. And that's, you're Mm -hmm. seeing breast cancers, ovarian cancers, cervical cancers, all different cancers in the female forms because of the amount of estrogen that's not regulated. Yeah, my my big takeaway today is that we need a lot of protein, even though you might say we're a protein-crazed society, or we need a lot of calcium, especially we as women and children growing up for good bones, to look at the source and the food chain, if you will, from where we're getting our calcium or our protein, and that there are alternatives mm-hmm. where we can take out that processed middleman or that grain that's been pumped up with a lot of genetically modified sprays, um, not to mention the kind of sprays that are pesticides. If you were to avoid the worry of proteins and you're avoiding the worries of all of this and you just eat whole food, plant-based food, I promise you, your body's going to get enough protein. Your body's going to get enough fiber. Your body's going to get enough calcium. And all those worries go away. Wow. Yeah. The other big payoff, which is less Mm -hmm. stress about if I'm eating well or not. Yes. Yeah. Well, Jessica Jarmer, this has been a fabulous afternoon with you. I thank you so much. What's next? What's next for you, the vegan chef at home? So the next thing that we are working on in our lives right now, as we're dealing with, we're learning how to incorporate frequencies into our every day. And we've, we are working to use those frequencies to help Sam and his recovery in addition to the food. So that's, that's our new learning curve right now is adopting the right frequencies to create a healthier lifestyle. Wow. And frequencies, I'm, I'm thinking of, there's a device, the Healy device, something where you can actually measure your own frequencies Mm -hmm. or someone else's frequencies where you've got a connection with them through a device. Is that what you're referencing? So Sam has a Healy, I have a Healy and we use them. It gives us a reading Mm. to tell us where we're low and then we use it in a different program to elevate those frequencies and get them back to where they need to be. And the difference mm-hmm. it's made, even in attitude, energy level, if Sam's having a bad day, he could run positive thoughts. And within 20 minutes, his whole demeanor changes. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you've got this whole food plant-based diet mm-hmm. for the body that also has mental benefits. And then you've got the energy frequencies mm-hmm. that are recalibrating. Basically, yes. The mental frequencies, the emotional mm-hmm. frequencies that are also percolating throughout the body. Just amazing and fascinating. And, and that helps with trauma healing considerably. You can run them to see what's going on in your body and then you could just start clearing it out. I know I have certainly benefited from the use of the Healy. So to hear you say that in combination with the food-based, mm-hmm. plant-based diet is a, is a powerful to punch <laughs> in the most positive kinds of ways. Yeah, Jessica, wow, you've given us all a great deal to think about. I can't thank you enough for your wisdom and and your love of your family and your love of what is so natural <laughs> uh, that's you know given to us by Mother Nature and God's universe. Thank you so much. 
Thank you very much, Louise. Jessica Jarmer's culinary expertise has illuminated the path for many who have made the choice to switch to a plant-based diet, especially those facing ailments related to inflammation, such as chronic pain, type 2 diabetes, spinal cord injury, IBS, and all gastrointestinal ailments. We now understand more fully how we can promote healing for our injured or diseased bodies by our food choices, and how a plant-based diet also prevents disease as well as anger flare-ups. Her testimony that adopting a whole food vegan lifestyle is not only possible, but also tantalizingly delicious, leaves us with much to consider in our food choices. Her powerful message inspires us all to think more expansively about our food choices and the possibilities for natural healing and maintenance of healthy bodies. We close with a deeper understanding of the intricate link between what we consume and physical healing. To heal our injured or diseased bodies, our physical system needs our energy devoted to our repair and maintenance of our tissues and organs. When we consume food that requires a lot of energy to digest, we rob our systems of their natural ability to heal damaged tissue and organs because the energy is diverted to digestion and fighting inflammation. Making choices to not tax our bodies so hard with certain foods and drinks we ingest allows our bodies to heal faster and naturally. And we've learned that another benefit is the reduction of a dependence on medications intended to reduce inflammation and narcotics intended to reduce pain related to inflammation. The nutrients we provide our bodies through plants can not only restore our bodies to their natural ability to aid our bodies in healing, but also can be a source of physical resilience, allowing our bodies to better ward off life's challenges, environmental assaults, and adversities. Jessica's insights have demonstrated that healing can begin in the kitchen. As we close, let us carry these invaluable lessons with us, knowing that we possess the power to heal and thrive, all within our choices. Stay tuned for more incredible insights and learnings from esteemed physicians, therapists, and healers in our Trauma Healing Learning Series. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. Life can change in the blink of an eye. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.